when it comes to racing, I then look back at all those training sessions, think you didn't get a podium, put yourself through the rain and miss your kids um, playing at the park at a weekend just to sort of give up. Welcome to the 40 Fit and Fabulous podcast. Join your host, Mark Slight, as he gets the best information, inspiration, help, and advice from the world's best athletes, performance coaches, and health experts so that you can look, move, and feel your best at 40 and beyond. Remember, it's never too late to live the life of your dreams. Now here's your host, Mark Slight. Hello and welcome to episode number two with former Winter Olympic athlete Jason Sklenar. Now this is where it gets exciting. This is where the real episodes begin. If you listen to episode one, you'll be aware that that was just me talking about myself, telling you a little bit about me, about my history, where I've come from and the purpose of this podcast. But now this is where it gets really good because now we start to bring on guests, inspiring, knowledgeable guests, guests who can educate you and help you look, move and feel your best. And it's fantastic. We've got some amazing guests coming on. Now, the one thing I want to clear up before we get really into it is that I don't want to make this a polished podcast, okay? I I could sit here and edit every single episode to within an inch of its life, make it all glossy, shiny, new. I don't want to do that. I want to keep this as real as possible, okay? I want a real connection between me and you while you're listening to me. Yes, you can go to the show notes. You can connect with me on Facebook, okay? Everything I do on social media is transparent. You'll get to see the real me very, very quickly if you connect on social media. But I think it's really important we keep that going on the podcast as well. I've never recorded a podcast before. I've never really interviewed people before. So let's keep it real. Let's not try and make out it's something it isn't. Let's just keep it real and honest as we go through. Now, when me and Jason recorded this, we was having a little bit of trouble getting uh, getting a good time to record. Jason was actually in Vietnam when we, when we reached out to each other. And um, it was very, very hard for Jason to get bandwidth in Vietnam. There was, there was a military ship just offshore. There was a lot of lot of sailors on the island and they was taking up a lot of the internet space. And we found it really hard to find a time and suitable bandwidth to record this. So what you'll find with, with quite a few of the guests being scattered all over the world, that sometimes the recording is not perfect. And unfortunately, there's not a lot we can do about that when we try to communicate all over the world. But I think it's fantastic that nowadays that I can talk to someone in Vietnam at five o'clock in the morning. I can talk to people in Australia and in the States. It's amazing what we can do nowadays. So really embrace it. And, you know, if the quality sometimes on the recordings is a little bit iffy, I'm perfectly happy with that because you're going to be able to get amazing content from these people. And it's a way of connecting with these people that we would never have had this 15, 20 years ago. I think it's absolutely amazing. So Jason Sklenar is a veteran of four Winter Olympic Games, two as an athlete competing in the biathlon and another two in various roles, ranging from team manager to ambassador and team coach. Following on from these four Olympic Games, Jason's actually been awarded the MBE, which is a fantastic achievement. And that's not just his achievements as an athlete, but also his help in developing other athletes and in the role of, in development of sport as well. Fantastic achievement. Even though now Jason is is 48 when we recorded this episode, he isn't slowing down. He's now touring the world with his his family, getting to live a fantastic life. He's still staying very active and he's competed 
in the triathlon at the European Championships for Great Britain. He's currently training for an Ironman event as well. So just because Jason is now past his Olympic adventures and he's, he's getting a little bit older, he's not slowing down. He's not taking his life or his fitness or his health for granted. He's still staying incredibly active. And aside from all the fitness and all the advice you're going to get from Jason, all the good stories, I cannot tell you just how how nice this guy really is. You know, he's got out of his way to record this podcast at silly times of the day when we're trying to communicate across the world. And I cannot say enough good things about Jason. I really, really can't. So I want to jump straight into it because I want you to get the benefit of this advice as soon as possible. Just before we do go into it, please, for the sake of the podcast, so that I can keep producing as much good quality content and get as many good guests on as possible, Please dip over to iTunes or where you normally get your podcasts from. Subscribe, leave a review if you can for me. That'd be fantastic. And it just helps us to move the podcast forward and get more and more great guests on as we go forward in time. So here we go then. Episode number two, part one with Jason Sklenov. So... Let's let's start with your Olympic experiences then, Jason. Can you've been to two Olympic Games? Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about how they went, how you got on? So I did four, but I did two as an athlete, and then I did two as um, kind of su- support staff. Uh, one was a coach, one was a coach manager. Um, so yeah, I did two Olympics. They were quite spread apart for various reasons, um, illness and injury preventing me from going to another two. Uh, that's probably for a whole new uh, podcast. <laughs> um, the trials and tribulations of trying to be an elite athlete. But um, sorry, so you want to know how I got there or? How you, how you got on? How, how did you fare when uh, the, two, the two that you was actually competing in? Yeah, it's really quite, it's, it's funny because whenever I think about it, now that my life's moved on, I've got older and bolder, I look back and I think, wow, I put, so much effort into to both of those olympics and if you were to look at the two results side by side there's not a great deal of improvement um, but that's mainly because i guess the field is always getting more competitive it's you might look that you you might look like you haven't moved but just to keep where you are you've progressed if that makes sense uh, you know the, as you know yourself in, in hockey or any sport you know it's always progressing so if you look like you've only moved on a marginal amount, you've still improved, but so has everybody else. So um, I didn't get on that great when I look back on it, but that's in a very cynical, maybe uh, older, wiser eyes. When I look back at what I did, the equipment we had, the support we had, what we were up against with a very uh, relative uh, naive uh, and uh, fairly... Um, inexperienced team I think I did I think me and my my colleagues did amazingly um, it's a very tough sport it's a hard physically mentally uh, and hard skill set sport uh, we don't have any sort of grassroots in the sport um, obviously being a, a lowland nation uh, to compete in any winter Olympics as you'll see from this current Olympics um, we've done amazing Britain, you know, people don't quite, I think sportsmen and women around the world will appreciate what goes into getting to the Olympics, but those that, that maybe are more inclined to, to, let's just put it politely, less activity, don't always understand what actually goes into just getting there, let alone to try and compete at a level which 
people want to see and go, oh, well done. You know, it's, it's like chalk and cheese. To get there is one thing, but to actually get there and make a top half of the field, let alone a top 10, let alone a medal, is, is phenomenal. It's, yeah, it is. It's, it, it's very easy for us to sit at home on our couch and cheer you on and think, oh, maybe why haven't they done a bit better? Or, you know, we're not doing so well this time. But yeah, the, eff- the effort and the commitment. And even nowadays for Winter Olympics, for a GB athlete, it's really tough. There's, there's little funding. Well, the funding's getting better now. But I was talking to a, a, a female skier last week and she, she's been doing it for 10 years and she's only just been able to get a, a dedicated coach for her sport. She had to coach herself for so many years. Did you ever feel yeah. in, the, in them days that everyone else had a bit more of an advantage because you was coming from Great Britain? Yeah, definitely. We were, well, I was very fortunate. I was, um, I was supported a lot by the military. Um, however, no matter what level of support they were providing, if you looked at any other professional team at the time, they had an entourage of support. And, and that doesn't always mean to say you're going to be good, but if you've got people that support you that know what they're doing, then undoubtedly that makes a massive difference. You know, a colleague, a, a, a good friend and colleague of mine were, were kind of uh, reminiscing about the support we had and what we used to do. And, and, you know, 20 years on, we're like, we can't believe we used to do what we did to our skis, let alone the preparation. And that wasn't because we weren't professionals, because we just didn't know or didn't have the support. And we used to do stuff to our skis. It won't mean much, much to you, if anything, but we looked back and thought we weren't making our skis faster. We were making them slower by the, the things we used to do to them, thinking that we were doing the right thing. And our, um, our competitors, you know, they, they must have been looking at us thinking, wow, you're making a tough job, even nearly impossible. Um, but that's that's the learning curve of sport. You know, if I went back, you know, the the, the, the cliche is, you know, if I knew then what I know now, um, and that that would be true to the t- you know to the the end of time. It'd be the same for for Andrew Musgrave, our our best uh, ever British uh, cross country athlete at Pyeongchang this year. It was you know so so close. Again, people won't appreciate the level of what he he is at, let alone the fact that he nearly meddled, you know, it'd be the same for him. He, he will be looking at all the tiny little bits where he can make those improvements and go, oh, if only I'd done this, that, and the other. So, yeah, the support can always be better. Um, you know, that's one of the things I think that helps Britain. We've got this definitely sort of go-get-them attitude of, you know, we might be the underdogs and therefore we might have an advantage because we will, we will try that, that little bit maybe harder or, you know, look at the fact that we haven't got the best skis or the best um, environment to train in, unless you're lucky enough that you're an expat and living abroad or, you know, you've got some, some good sponsor or some good funding. So, yeah, it's good to see that our, our men and women, both para and able-bodied, are, are really up there fighting it, you know, and really putting in a phenomenal performance. You know, I think we sometimes look at sport and we look at the, the, maybe the three or four or maybe the five top sports that we, we play in the UK and we chastise the, the athletes, you know, but look at the sports that don't have all the funding and we still do a pretty good job, uh, be it skiing, be it, you know, a whole host of sports out there, you know, not even going to start to name them because there's, there's lots, you know, you know, look at women's hockey and men's hockey. I mean, you know, um, we, we, they've done amazing and, uh, you know, the development of it 
amongst all the other sports is testimony to hopefully that that wave that Britain um, got on top of in the lead up to uh, London 2012. So um, yeah, let's hope it keeps going. Yeah, let's hope so. And you, you you touched on it there as well. For people who don't know, you started off before becoming an athlete. You was in the military. Now, yeah, how yeah. much do you think the the bonding and the camaraderie in the military has then crossed over for you in, into the athletic world? So when you're with your, your Olympic team and you say you haven't got the coaches, you maybe haven't got the entourage and the team around you, you're then relying on team spirit with the, with the guys that with you because everyone in the GB team is probably in the same situation, probably hasn't got the coaches that everyone else has got, hasn't got the funding. Yeah. How much then yeah. are you relying on the, the help and support of your teammates to, to help your mindset as, as you're going through the Olympic Games? Oh, that's a really good question. It's, it's massive. I think um, I've alluded to this a couple of times to colleagues and friends within the, the coaching sector that, you know, um, having studied sport and sports science, I think one of the biggest things would have been psychology. And definitely in the military, you get that, that kind of camaraderie and bond that I don't think you always find outside of the services. Um, because you have to, you know, um, I, I didn't maybe have a, a typical military career like some of my, my uh, counterparts and, and colleagues, but for sure you go through a process where you, you learn how to keep going uh, in the face of adversity, pardon the sort of phrase, but, you know, that is true, whether it's through basic training or through, um, you know, training that you receive through the military, you, you find a a part of your life where you suddenly realize you can actually do a lot more than you ever thought possible. And I look at some of the young men and women that are in the sport now, and you know, a lot of them are still service orientated and that is outside of our own country as well. And you know full well that, that they have a, a side to them that they know how to dig deep. They know how to make do with what they've got. And definitely, you know, I, I can, it's funny. I think of some of the stories to, of my time as an athlete and there definitely are phases there where you wouldn't have expected a team to to be sleeping in a van in the middle of the arctic almost because there was no accommodation and and uh, there was nowhere to stay and we were running out of um, you know uh, options and this suddenly became this kind of scenario of well okay well let's just get on with it and uh, I know there's other people and athletes out there that have done that, that, that aren't in the military, but I think it hadn't been in the military. It was a case of, okay, lad, you know, uh, chin up, get on with it. And, and that is a, a kind of, you know, a very classic military thing that, you know, when, when it's not looking so good, you just, you know, chin up and off you go. You know, there's a lot of the sayings, like I probably can't repeat uh, on a podcast, but the language is fairly colorful and it's kind of, you know, dry your eyes, son, get on with it, you know, and there's a side of that that when it, when it then comes to racing and you're going through that uncomfortable phase of hurt or, you know, discomfort, you just, you just get on and go for it. And I don't know if you've ever watched any of the cross country or biathlon races, but at the finish line, there's very, very few people that can actually stay stood up from exhaustion. And that's why I think, uh, you know, the military suit cross country and biathlon very well because they, you get to the point where you, you know you push yourself beyond what you have ever thought possible, and that reflects also in the day-to-day -day training and having to live away from home and you know uh, being on the road for six, seven months, living out of a backpack or, or whatever it is. Um, 
and don't get me wrong, there's a good side to that as well. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to both. But being in the military, you know, when, when a lot of our servicemen and women have often gone out on tour for six, nine months, you know, to suddenly be doing a World Cup ski tour away from friends and family actually doesn't seem like a big issue whatsoever because, you know, you're doing something you love and, you know, you might not be in the, in the knee deep in shit as you, as you otherwise might find yourself. So, um, yeah, to answer your question long windedly, it, it helps a lot. <laughs> do you think, do you think that kind of mental toughness and mental resiliency from the military then that you've brought into the games, do you think you pass that on to, to the non-military athletes? Um, or, or did you actually try to pass that on knowingly? Or do you think it just happened? At, like you say, at, as you were, just come, come on, come on, lads, keep your chin up. Let's, let's keep going. Yeah, I think it works both ways. I think um, there's never really been a massive non-military presence in the team. But over the years, when when there have been uh, the civilian counterparts come and join us, they very quickly get used to the the banter and the kind of, oh, well, lad, you know, and then they realize that, you know, no one's going to do it for them or they might actually have to get up early or, you know, uh, whatever the case may be, it soon rubs off. But I think I think that's very true for a lot of athletes that, at the high level uh, of course there's teams out there that have got all the support under the sun but any athlete's progression through the ranks to get to that level would have undoubtedly had certain hardships be it the training be it getting up early be it away from loved ones family friends in the rain whatever it is you know no no olympian makes it to the olympics the easy way it's just it's not an easy route um you know, even if you're genetically gifted, you've still got to go through that selection process of every other athlete trying to get there. So, you know, by no means is it easy. So all athletes have a certain, um, what's the right way of saying it, metal, toughness, resilience, because if they didn't, they, they actually probably wouldn't make it. So uh, I think it's, you know, it's twofold. You know, people, everyone brings something to the melting pot and you could argue that, the non-military personnel that come in maybe uh, level it slightly because service personnel can be quite a bit rough and ready as well. So um, we often used to say before before there was a lot of uh, civilian people coming into the team, we often used to say, you know, the, the female counterparts um, were, were good at leveling the field a little bit. You know, guys can be very rough and ready and... Uh, Similarly, when there's when there's women around, they they do watch their language a bit better and they do tidy up a bit more, uh, even though that might be a surprise to some of the some of them that have been <laughs> on the team. So, and it's the same with the civilian counterpart. You know, when they come along, they they bring they bring equally their worth to to that sort of environment. Yeah, yeah, I, I imagine they do. And yeah, the the women coming in, you're definitely going to tidy up a little bit more. No one wants to be told <laughs> off. Do they? Um, no, that's right. <laughs> So what do you do when, when you're having a tough time with your training and, and, you know, undoubtedly you're going to have tough, tough days or weeks. What keeps you going? What keeps you keeping on during them tough times? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I think there's a whole host of things. Um, for me recently, and I, I've been at the military for some years now, but I quite often, if, if it's in a race, um, it's a whole different situation. If it's training, it's probably watered down slightly because I think as I've got older, I I might quit a session a little bit earlier because I think I'm older and why am I doing it? And 
should be at home with my kids or they'd still be in bed, whatever. But when it comes to racing, I then look back at all those training sessions, think you didn't get up early and put yourself through the rain and miss your kids um, playing at the park at a weekend just to sort of give up. So, you know, again, it goes back to that mental toughness as what was the motivation that got you out of bed in the first place. And um, I'm not going to allude to the fact that there's a, a simple answer to that because everyone's got all their different reasons. But for me, I, you know, I love a challenge. Um, I like to see how far I can push myself, what the limit is. Um, whenever I enter a race or even train, I'm not thinking about the other person. I'm thinking of what is it I can do. Sure, you've got that kind of looping question in your head that your competitor's doing exactly the same as you right now right here so what is it you're going to do different that's going to make you cross the line that millisecond before he does um and i often used to have in my head when i was younger when i was doing interval training or some some session i would really hate or you know be near puking at i would have in my head that that it's this right here right now that will make the difference um i don't know as a coach and having studied a fair bit uh, fair might now that that is true to say because there's lots of things that make the difference but you still got to have you know resilience and mental toughness to to make that difference um i think for a lot of athletes out there they've got to want it for themselves and not just for the accolades because the accolades will be forgotten you know you're a long time retired and when you start you know Pouring the pouring the beers, going oh in my day, lad, you know you'll soon lose your audience because everyone knows that time moves on, and they be like, yeah, whatever, grandpa. <laughs> um, so you've got to have a good reason to want to get out of bed, I think, and uh, keep you going. And for me, it's just seeing what I can do. You know, I'm nearly I'm 48 in a few weeks' time, and you know, have I got anything to prove? No, nothing to prove, but only to myself. Um, mm. Although it's nice to have my, my kids come up to me and say, well done, Daddy. <laughs> That's quite nice. I'm sure it is, yeah. And then to be where you are now and, and not probably not have any regrets, not, not think, I, you know, I could have trained harder, I could have done this, knowing that you've, you've given it everything you can and you've done the best you can is, is probably rewarding in itself, whether you finish first or whether you finish 100th. If you've done the best you possibly can, then you've got to be happy with that, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. You've got some good questions there. I recently, I say recently, back in uh, September, uh, did uh, Ironman Wales, and uh, it part of it didn't go to plan. Um, but I say plan loosely because I, I had done everything I could do with the circumstances of my lifestyle that I, I currently live. So, yeah, sure, if I was a full-time athlete or I only had, you know, um, a couple hours of work, to, to get by in a day, then I could have always done more. I could have always done things better. But as I was going through a whole world of hurt during the race, I kind of thought, you know what? I couldn't have prepared any better than I have. I made a, a little mess up in, in part of my plan, but you can't always plan for every eventuality, no matter how much you think you are. Always, they, there's always a possibility something will go wrong, right? So you've just got to have that, again, that mental... Um, coping strategy for when for when it does not if I think it's when yeah um, it's, so. it's all it's all in the head Every, everything's in the head and it, what you say there just reminds me I was I was speaking to another coach recently and he he asked me at the start of the day how are you doing 
So I'm a bit frustrated because I can't train the way I want to train at the minute. I can't spend an hour in the gym every day because I'm trying to run a business, trying to sort the podcast out, got family, yeah. friends, all this kind yeah. of stuff. And I'm really frustrated that I can't do the training I want, but I'm trying to do maybe 10 minutes a hit every night or I'm trying to do press-ups to failure or some squats. He said, well, you need to switch that around in your head and just be incredibly proud that you're still making the time to do what you can. Don't be disappointed. Yeah. You, life is getting in the way. It's not going to be like that forever, but you're still consciously making the effort to do as much as you possibly can. So be proud instead of disappointed. And the minute he told me that, that, that sort of light went off above my head and I thought, yeah, he's right. And it just changed my yeah. entire approach to everything. Yeah, definitely, 100%. I often, you know, it's funny because people say to me, oh, it's all right for you, you're fit. And you're like, yeah, but I still have to make the time to train and I've still got challenges. And so, you know, I often say to them, I'm like, well, why don't you train? And they're like, oh, I haven't got a time. I'm like, you haven't got 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 11 minutes? Because you can do something, you know, that short, as, as we both both know. And uh, often there's a bit of a, you know, grin and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. So um, I, I remember once getting chastised by my uh, my uh, peer group in the military because they're like, oh, it's all right for you, you're fit. And I said, yeah, you know, I was sat in my room one day and uh, this envelope worked its way under the door and said, congratulations, you know, you're off to the Olympics, uh, collect your kit and get on the flight, you know. Of course, there was uh, many hours of before most of my mates were even out of bed where I was doing my 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 training or my thing to make it so uh you know there's always that kind of what are you going to do to get there or you know more to the point i suppose is you know what excuses are you going to put in front of what you actually want to achieve so uh without sounding too nostalgic nostalgic <laughs> even <laughs> but yeah i think uh, i think you're right it's interesting that, that the questions you're asking because they're they're good and they're, they're probably really true for a lot of sports. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's, the, you know, we've got some great answers there. What a start. That's, that's part one. We're finished there. We're going to get into that in more detail in part two later in the week. Um, and yeah, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the mindset and a little bit of them backstories there as well. So I really look forward to that. Well, I think you'll agree that that's an amazing start to this podcast. Fantastic insights from Jason, and I just love hearing about what goes on behind the scenes, how much effort is actually involved and how much commitment is involved to get people to this to the highest level in sport. I think it's amazing. And when we come back in part two, we're going to talk a lot more about Jason's private life. What I want to introduce now at the end of the first part of every of every guest is I want to introduce questions from my community. Okay, and there's going to be a chance when, when you go to the end of the podcast, when you go to the show notes, connect with me. If you've got questions you would like answering on the podcast, send them to me, email them to me, contact me via my website or through social media, send me your questions and I'll make sure we get every single one of them answered on the podcast. As this is the early days of the first few podcasts, I've actually taken questions from my own clients and from my own community. This way I can help everybody get answers to the really common questions. Sometimes questions you might even be a bit embarrassed to ask. You know, maybe you think they're a bit silly. Maybe you should know the answer. It doesn't matter. Send your questions in and I can pretty much guarantee I would have heard the question before. So there's no need to feel concerned or worried or embarrassed or anything like that. So this first question comes from one of my clients. And this, we're talking about late night snacks. She finds that she always needs a little bit of a snack late at night and it's a habit that she's found very hard to break over the years. She's come to me and she said, 
am I doing myself any harm by having a late at night, a, a, a snack late at night? There you go. There's your first mistake on the podcast. So um, what I've what I've said to her is that it, everybody is different. Okay, you'll hear certain regulations. You shouldn't eat after eight o'clock. You shouldn't have carbs after six. It's all very generic information. Every single person and every single lifestyle is totally different. Me, myself, sometimes I like a little bit of a snack late at night. I, I do find that I I need something very little before I go to bed just to stop me feeling hungry when I go to bed. It helps me get through the night. And that works really well for me. But I'm generally quite active all the way through the evening. It's not like I'm sitting down at four or five o'clock watching TV all night. I am actually staying quite active till quite late at night. So I need that energy boost before I go to bed. And, and this is where it depends on each person because if you've just come back from the gym at eight o'clock at night and you think, oh, I mustn't eat after eight o'clock at night. Well, that's kind of rubbish because your body needs to refuel after the gym. So I'm not suggesting you should sit down and have a huge spaghetti bolognese after coming back from the gym, but you will need to replace some energy that you've just used at the gym. So everyone is different. And I can't even say that you should have maybe some some protein and some fat before you go to bed everyone's different i myself i like a little bit of a carby snack before i go to bed but that wouldn't be work that wouldn't work for everybody it's very very individual but the way i like to look at it is this that during the night your body repairs it slows down and it starts to repair itself the way it repairs itself is by using stored energy within your body to carry out all the repair functions now the energy it chooses to use is fat primarily fat okay so you've got to imagine that during the night you're laying asleep your body is then letting the fat stores feed out into the body and using that as energy to carry out vital repairs to your body okay so you've got a choice you can either lay there and have really healthy fats from things like nuts extra virgin olive oil avocados seeds that kind of fat circulating within your body or you can have a KFC before you go to bed and you can let your body secrete dirty, saturated, horrible, greasy fat into your body to carry out the repairs. Firstly, I don't think that's a very nice thought anyway to think that that kind of fat is circulating around your body at night. Secondly, how good are the repairs going to be? You can either repair your body with cheap, low-grade, saturated, dirty fat or you could use precision high level fats such as avocados nuts seeds oils that kind of thing that's the way i look at it so it's not so much about when you should eat what and um sort of what sort of makeup of of the dinner is as in proteins carbs and fats but just think about the quality of the food that you're using and this is not just before you go to bed this is a general rule all through the day the quality is generally much more important than the quantity for the most part okay so Change the way you look at it a little bit. Instead of having that, that dirty bag of crisps before you go to bed, maybe you're better off having a few nuts and a bit of fruit, something like that. So think quality rather than quantity and times before you go to bed. So that's episode two. I was going to nearly call it episode one. That's episode two done. Episode three is actually available right now in iTunes and Stitcher and all your usual podcast hangouts. And we're going to come back with Jason and we're going to tap into more of his personal life, more of his travels, how he's looking after himself now that he's not actually at a competing level. There's a big, big difference between staying fit and active and healthy for an Olympic sport and staying fit, healthy and active just for your day-to-day life and for your long-term health and wellness. So head over to your podcast platforms, 
grab episode three straight away, get back into it, start listening to Jason because it's absolutely amazing what he's doing now to stay fit and healthy and I know we can all get something from it. I know I got something from it, so if I can, I know everyone listening can. Take care guys, be happy, and I'll speak to you again in episode three.